Good evening. I want to welcome any visitors that might be here. We are currently in our series of the um, Distinctives of Calvary Chapel. We're in number four tonight. You might just open your Bible up to Acts chapter one. The message is entitled, Empowered by the Holy Spirit. These are the essentials that Pastor Chuck Smith put together as the one who God used to begin the movement of Calvary chapels. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew twenty six forty one, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In other words, in our strength, our own strength, natural strength, we cannot do the things of God or gratify God. It's hard to uh, understand when someone's so talented in terms of sports or maybe uh, in a mechanical way or whatever it may be, that God would say that he can't use none of those things to please him. It's insulting to our intellect. Paul said to the Ephesians, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Ephesians 16, and put on the whole armor of God. The armor that he had provides. We've been studying it it's for protection, for fighting against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in 6.12. This is to be an ongoing basis, as he said earlier in Ephesians 5.18, keep on keeping on being filled with the Spirit of God. It's an ongoing need for the empowerment of God's Spirit. In fact, Jesus commanded here in the book of Acts, chapter 1, his disciples in verse 4, to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which they had heard from his very mouth. The message is clear in verse 5 of chapter 1 of Acts. Man is weak and is in need of power from God. Therefore, Jesus said to his disciples, after the resurrection... For John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Keep in mind that phrase, baptized with the Holy Spirit, because many people object to that. But it's coming straight from the mouth of Jesus. Notice in verse 8, go down to verse 8. The reason being that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit had come upon them. And they would be witness to Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, the ends of the earth. So in other words, this cannot be done from those things that you can accomplish and achieve and grab hold of on earth. This is directly from heaven. Calvary chapels believe in the absolute necessity of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, commonly referred to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we place an emphasis on the doctrine while attempting to still stay away from all the nonsense that usually is associated with extreme Pentecostalism, such as slain in the Spirit, speaking in tongues aloud at the same time while teaching is going on from the pulpit dancing in the spirit or prophesying in the middle of the service and many other things that are very clearly contradictory to the order 
of God. But often these manifestations are categorized as the move of the spirit while they are really the move of the flesh when you judge them and compare them to scripture. The baptism of the Holy Spirit has been abused, misused, misunderstood, misapplied in the church and continues to be so because believers are not good Bereans in Acts 17.11. To examine, to find out if those things are so. Often believers, they just believe what they hear without examining the context. So what they hear, they file away in their mind in indoctrination. And when that question comes up, they spit it out like a quacking duck. Bypassing the examination of the scriptures through their mind. Comparing scripture with scripture. So, we want to study the baptism of the Holy Spirit regarding the believer from three perspectives. First, the distinctions of the Holy Spirit. Then secondly, the distinct synonymous names for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, we'll finish with the distinct difference of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So let's begin with the distinctions of the Holy Spirit. There are three prepositions, very distinct prepositions that identify with the Holy Spirit and man. If you turn to John 14, go back a few chapters from Acts 1 there. The Holy Spirit is with man. These are the words of Jesus. Listen to what he says. Jesus said to his disciples, for he dwells with you. He is a personal pronoun speaking about the Holy Spirit. The Greek word for with is the word para and describes the Holy Spirit present with man before salvation. Before salvation, the Holy Spirit is present to bring man under the conviction of sin for repentance to salvation. Receiving the conviction of sin leads to repentance and salvation. The Holy Spirit, we are told, convicts the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment in John 16, 16, uh, or 16, 8 through 11, I'm sorry. And sin refers to the missing of the mark, as you know, which is perfection. From an old archery game, they would take arrows and shoot them through a hoop. When you missed it, they would say, you are a sinner, meaning you've missed the mark. Righteousness refers to bankruptcy in every person to merit salvation. In other words, no matter how good you were, no matter how moral or ethical you might have been, that does not merit salvation. You are bankrupt because it's a gift of God through the righteous 
atoning work of Jesus Christ, Romans 1, 16 through 17. Judgment refers to the accountability of each individual's life to God after death. So the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And if people do not repent by the conviction of the Holy Spirit and they die in that state, they die in their sin and they are eternally separated from God. That's a horrible, horrible thing for anybody to understand. Now, the next thing Jesus says in John fourteen seventeen, he says the Holy Spirit is in man. So with man is the first preposition. The second preposition is in and will be in you. The Greek word for in is the word en, E-N, as we transcribe it from the Greek. It describes the Holy Spirit after accepting Jesus Christ. The Lord Christ now abides in the believer. The Christian now abides in Christ. The believer's body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 6.19. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. In fact, Paul says, or do you not know? That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is the representative of Christ on the earth. He is the silent witness of Jesus. There's another coming in my name, another of the same kind but different number. You have the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He will not speak of himself. He will testify of me. He will bring to your remembrance my words and only what I say. So the Holy Spirit is never going to say anything or do anything contrary to the words of Jesus. That would be a contradiction. Now the Holy Spirit is associated with a third preposition. We've seen with, in, and there's the third one, upon. In Acts 1.8, the first part, it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all the Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The Greek word upon now is the word epi. E-P-I. It describes the Holy Spirit after accepting Christ at salvation or subsequent to salvation. And we'll prove this through the book of Acts. The disciples were to wait for it in Jerusalem, we noted. The disciples were already born again because Jesus breathed on them the Holy Spirit, as he said, receive ye the Holy Spirit in John twenty twenty two. That's not a symbolic gesture, as many commentators says. They literally received the Spirit. They were born again there. The believer is endued with power for service 
to be a witness to Jesus. A transforming work, being able to live out the life of Christ. The power comes from on high, heaven. The power was to make them effective vessels of God, which they did not have in and of themselves. The empowerment should be the daily and normal life experience of the believer. Understanding that in us dwells not one good thing, and apart from him, we can do nothing. The threefold work of the Holy Spirit could be compared to taking a glass of water. With would be from the lake. Then drinking the water to be in me and finally jumping into the lake and being enveloped by the water all around me. Three separate experiences that he delines to us right here very clearly. And then as we move, we're going to see how this is confirmed by the script. If this is a true, accurate, biblical revelation, and we are interpreting it properly, then we should be able to verify it through the only historical book that we have, the book of Acts. In its context, without manipulating it, letting it speak for itself. Therefore, Calvary chapels believe that the minute a person is born again by confessing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they receive the Holy Spirit into their body and He abides in them. We believe this. It's a, it's a confession of faith, believing that Jesus died for our sins, asking Him to forgive me, and being born again. This is what we believe as Calvary chapels. Calvary chapels believe that the believer needs power to be a proper witness to Jesus. We believe that we are not sufficient in ourselves. Otherwise, we wouldn't have to be born again. Calvary chapel believes that the threefold distinction of the Holy Spirit is clearly defined by the words of Jesus that I just gave you in John 14 in the book of Acts chapter 1. So these are the distinctions of the Holy Spirit that Calvary Chapel believe and teach. We pray that it continues like that, but again, Pastor Chuck is dead. It's very hard for a movement to go into a second generation. Though some may continue, the movement as a whole doesn't always. Time will tell. Secondly, let's look at the distinct names synonymous for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 24, verse 49... Luke, and by the way, Luke also wrote Acts. In Luke 24, 49, it says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Kind of the same thing we read there in the book of Acts. Jesus declared it. Jesus was speaking to his disciples. 
The promise of the Father, we saw in Acts 1.4. We also find it in Acts 2.33. Again, listen to Acts 1.4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Jesus declared it. Jesus was speaking again to his disciples. And Peter confirmed that it was evidence of Jesus being at the right hand of the Father. In Acts 2.33, he says, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. The day of Pentecost. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is clearly articulated and identified by Jesus. This is important. Look at chapter 1, verse 5 again. It bears repeating. And John truly baptized you with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, this is Jesus speaking to them after the resurrection. He has been speaking about the things of the kingdom for 40 days, okay? Jesus declared of himself in distinction of John's baptism in water. Jesus used the phrase baptized with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, many object to the phrase as well as saying that there is but one baptism. They say there's only one baptism in the Bible. Yet, it is coined by Jesus himself. And those that deny the baptism, they point to 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, Ephesians 4, 5, saying we are all baptized into one body by one spirit. But the context is not speaking about the baptism. So context is very important. Jesus says here, and he makes it very clear, that one of the main titles is the baptism, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Why would anybody object to that if this is what he referred to when just before he left back to the Father? If you remember, John the Baptist distinguished the two baptisms himself. In Matthew 3.11, Luke 3.16, and in John 1.32 and 33. Let me read Matthew 3.11, that'll suffice us. I indeed, John the Baptist speaking, I indeed baptize you with water into repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John uses the phrase, baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Water baptism is a public confession, as you know, of what already has happened in your heart. As you accept Jesus Christ by grace, through faith. So when you're born again, when you are water baptized, we take you out, you walk out to the water, your back is to the world, we turn you around, we take you under, bring you up, 
putting symbolically the old man to death. That water doesn't make you more born again or really born again or completely born again. You're born again. It's only a public confession of what has happened in your heart through faith. That's all it means. It's like a birth certificate. If you lose that, it doesn't mean you weren't ever born. And I say this because many people put a great emphasis upon water baptism. They say, if you're not water baptized, you won't get to heaven. If you need water baptism, then the atonement of Jesus Christ was not finished, as Jesus said on the cross. He said, it is finished. In him you're complete. In him dwells the sum total of deity, Colossians says. 2, 9, and 10. 1 Peter three nineteen through 21 says that water is only an answer to a good conscience and compares it to the antitype of the Noah flood. But it does not take away any sin of the flesh. So any attempt to say that water forgives sin, it's unbiblical. That's why we reject infant baptism. Because to repent, you have to understand the gospel and feel conviction and confess your sins. A baby cannot do that. So a child is sanctified by the saved parent, 1 Corinthians 7, until that age of knowledge. Then they must be born again. Okay? The Spirit's baptism is for power and service. Big distinction. Now, there is not only the promise from on high, not only the promise of the Father, not only the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but the filling with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2.4 4 and 9.17. In fact, in Acts 2.4 it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance or the ability. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit 120 at Pentecost. This was the promise of Jesus. The Apostle Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit subsequent to salvation at the words of Ananias in Acts 9.17. After they were born again. There's also the phrase, the gift of the Holy Spirit. This we find in the book of Acts chapter 10 verse 45. And we'll give you a commentary on it from Luke eleven thirteen. In Acts four ten forty five, there's in the house of Cornelius, the Gentiles, remember, the centurion. Um, he says, And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. So here's another title. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Synonymous with the baptism. All these phrases are identifying the same experience. The place was the house of Cornelius. The Jews were astonished that the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. They didn't think that would be possible. This was the teaching of Jesus. 
Listen to Luke 11.13. If you being evil, he's talking to his disciples by the way, know how to give good gifts to your children, listen carefully, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Now, let me ask you a question. When you're born again and confess your sins, you're not asking for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to you. Luke eleven thirteen is talking about asking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to see that it can happen when you're born again or subsequent to being born again. Why some have it at being born again, some subsequent, I have no idea. But we're going to trace it to the book of Acts. Another phrase is the Holy Spirit fell upon. Remember the word at P. Acts 8.16 and Acts 10.44. In Acts 8.16 it says, For as yet, this is Samaria, He, the Holy Spirit, had fallen upon a P, none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now wait a minute. If they've been water baptized, that means they've been born again. Because you baptize people who are born again. All right? But the Holy Spirit had not fallen at P, the baptism. The location was Samaria. They had received the word of God. The church at Jerusalem had sent down Peter and John and they prayed and laid hands on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. The house of Cornelius experienced it also. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell at pee upon all those who heard the word. Acts 10, 44. So we see this epi experience, the baptism, that it can occur subsequent to being born again. Jesus said in the last day of that great feast of tabernacles, in John 7, 37 and 39, he said, when, and, and during that time, they would go down to the pool of Siloam and bring some water and drop it there in the steps as you're going to the temple to declare that now God had brought Israel into the promised land and they didn't need water like for God to provide like in the wilderness. But it was in that last day that Jesus stood to his feet and he cried out, If any man thirst, let him come unto me, for out of his innermost being shall gush forth torrents of living water. To declare that they were still needing to be filled by God. They were just as empty. And he was speaking in reference to the Holy Spirit, which would he give to the church because he was not yet glorified. He identifies exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he identifies it in John 7, 37 through 39. The different names and phrases for the baptism of the Holy Spirit are like the different metaphors for the church. Such as the bride, the body, the family of God, and many others. But all are speaking about the church, the called out ones from darkness to light. 
The important thing to understand about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is not what you call it. The important thing is, do you have it? That's the important thing. That empowerment to live for Jesus. To be that witness unto Jesus. The other thing to understand is that Jesus promised it to the church and uses the phrase, as I pointed out, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a biblical term, and we should use it. You could use any of these phrases, and they would be synonymous with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when you hear one, you understand they all apply to the same experience. The biblical truth to confirm is that the doctrine of empowerment of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is derived from the scriptures in their context, not by some synthetic conglomeration of scriptures thrown together to make up a doctrine. That's not what we're doing. We're moving through the promise of Jesus, the words he's using, and confirming them through the only historical book we have, the book of Acts. So these are the distinct names synonymous for the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Calvary Chapel believes and teach. Now thirdly, let's look at the distinct differences of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. First, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is distinct from the new birth, okay? The disciples at Pentecost, we've pointed out, were born again. Acts 2.4 And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance or the ability. So they are born again already. Jesus breathed on them, as we said in John 20.22. 20, that was their born again experience. Receiving the Holy Spirit. If you remember back in Genesis 2-7, God breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of life. So now you have a fulfillment for the birthing of the church as the Holy Spirit is poured out. Every person who receives Christ as Lord and Savior receives the Holy Spirit by the new birth or they do not belong to God. If you're not born again, you don't have the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit... I don't care how much you say you do not belong to Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. Not only in the day of Pentecost, but as we move to chapter 8, the Samaritans were also born again already. In Acts 8, 5, 12, and 14, 15, and I'll read each one of them. In 8.5 it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Now remember, Samaria, they were half Jew and half Gentile, right? To the Jew, they were an abomination. They believed that God created them just for the kindle of the fires of hell. When they traveled up north, you have Galilee, Samaria, and Jerusalem, or Judea. And the only way you can get up north is either to go through Samaria 
which a Jew would never do. So they would go over the other side of Jordan, go all the way north through um, the king's highway, and then cross back over, and they would shake all the dust off their clothes in case they didn't want to contaminate Galilee. Or they would go over to the Via Maris by the sea and go all the way up. They detested them. Here in Samaria, Philip preaches the gospel. In Acts 8.12, it says, But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized in water. So they were already born again. And then in the same chapter of Acts 8, verse 14 and 15, look what happens. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. When you're born again, you receive the Holy Spirit. That's right. Then what is this experience in verse 14 and 15? It's the baptism. Now, it can occur at the same time, but in this case, it didn't occur at the same time. But it occurred subsequent because they're already born again. Then they're water baptized. Now, they come down, the apostles, Peter and John, they lay hands on them and they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can't miss it. The Apostle Paul equally was born again in Acts 9.17 already on the road to Damascus. And it says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, Paul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul was already born again. Now he's going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Spirit is synonymous with the baptism. Synonymous with the promise from on high. The promise of the Father, right? The AP experience. So Paul was baptized by the Spirit subsequent to salvation also. Now the baptism of the Holy Spirit is distinct from water baptism then also. Once again in Samaria, in chapter 8 of Acts, verse 12 and 17, the Samaritans were baptized with water first, then in the Holy Spirit when Peter and John came down. Do you realize that that was 12 years after Pentecost? Many people say, well, that was a, just the Pentecost. This is 12 years afterwards that's happening. Acts 12, 8, 12 says, But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then they had laid hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit. 
Acts 8, 17. So once again, it's distinct from water baptism. One is water baptism. The other one is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul received the baptism of the Holy Spirit first, as we noted. Then he was baptized in water. Just the reverse. Acts 9, 17, and 18. In 17 it says, Brother Saul, Ananias speaking, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. The AP experience. Then in verse 18 it says, Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. Water. It's just a reverse from the Samaritans. Okay? When we go to the house of Cornelius in Acts 10, verse 44 through 48. In 44, while Peter was still speaking, these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. These are Gentiles. In 48 it says, And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. That's water. And they asked him to stay a few days. So, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit first, then water. The Ephesian elders in Acts 19, verse 1 through 6. Now this is 24 years after the day of Pentecost. Cornelius 12. Now this is 24 years after. In Acts 19.4, it says, Then Paul said, John indeed baptized you. He's speaking to the Ephesian elders there. With the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Verse 4. Verse 5, it says, Then when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Water. John baptized them unto repentance. Now they're baptized in water in the name of Jesus. And then in verse 6 is the baptism of the Spirit. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. You have to mark the distinctions. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is distinct from the prepositions with and in. The baptism is the epi, upon. The promise of Jesus to the believer was that the Holy Spirit would come upon him in Acts 1.8. The believers were filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, Acts 2.4. The believers were forbidden to speak in the name of Jesus Christ and they prayed to God for boldness and they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 4.31. 
the evangelist Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit as he gazed up to heaven and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God to receive the first martyr of the church, Acts 7.55. The Samaritans experienced the Holy Spirit coming upon them in Acts 8.16. And again, the Ephesian disciples experienced the Holy Spirit coming upon them in Acts 19.6. You can't miss it. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is distinct from the gifts also, which many times are confused. At Pentecost, tongues accompanied the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2.4. So as they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, everybody heard them speak in tongues, dialecta, in their own dialect. And they are given all in chapter 1. Human languages. Okay. Dialects. That's the word. At the house of Cornelius. Tongues once again was accompanied. With the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts 10.45. At Ephesus. Tongues and prophecy accompanied the baptism of the Holy Spirit also. In Acts 19.6. So at times, people in denominations teach that the true evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues because of these verses. But this is not biblical in accord with the scriptures. It is indoctrination. Let me tell you why. The scriptures clearly teach that tongues are the least of the gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. So therefore, tongues cannot be the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The scriptures clearly teach that not all speak with tongues. 1 Corinthians twelve thirty. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is promised to every believer. The scriptures clearly teach that tongues edify no one except the person speaking unless it is interpreted in 1 Corinthians 14.45. The scriptures clearly teach that we are to do all to edify the body in 1 Corinthians 14.26. The scriptures clearly teach that we are not to forbid Anyone from speaking with tongues in 1 Corinthians 14.39. But not everybody has the gift of tongues. But everybody's to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's different. The true evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is empowerment for service. That is to be motivated by God's agape love. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this you shall know, they'll know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. I show you a more excellent way, agape love, 1 Corinthians 13. It moves into chapter 14. So, because tongues and prophecy is often manifested when the baptism falls on people, they automatically say, 
that the true evidence of, of the baptism is speaking in tongues. Well, why do you choose tongues when there's two gifts evident? Why not prophecy? Because neither one of them is the evidence. What we can say is that when the baptism of the Holy Spirit is received, whether it be at the time you're born again or subsequent to your salvation, we can identify the evidence and manifestation of certain gifts. The two most prominent in the book of Acts that appear and are manifested are tongues and prophecy. But no one gift or no combination of gifts, nor all the gifts are the evidence of the baptism. The evidence of the baptism is empowerment to be witnesses for Jesus, Acts 1.8. It's very, very, very clear. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is distinctly for every believer. Jesus said it was for the eleven and for the hundred and twenty in Luke twenty four forty nine and Acts one four. Peter said the baptism was for all who repented, even those who were afar off in Acts two thirty eight and thirty nine. Jesus said we are to ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we quoted in Luke eleven thirteen. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will God give you the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask? When you repent, the Holy Spirit is given to you. You don't have to ask it. Believers at time, as we've seen, have hands laid on them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 8, 17, 9, 17, and 19, 16. But at other times, the Holy Spirit just falls upon them. No hands are laid on them. So, you have to be careful of patterns. I'll lay hands on you, but it's not the hands, it's not the method. It's that we ask and we come in faith. Alright? And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time event. It can happen when you're born again. It can happen subsequent to be born again. But God would have us to be baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit continually. Ephesians 5.18. Keep on keeping on being filled with the Spirit of God. Which goes back to John 7.37-39. Out of your innermost being shall gush forth torrents of living water. And this he spoke of the Holy Spirit which was not yet given to the churches of yet. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. John gives us a commentary on that proclamation of Jesus. He's the last one to write his gospel. And he gives that commentary. So every part of the body comprises the body. Your body is the clearest illustration. Yet each part is distinct from the various parts that comprise your body. But all the parts are related and connected to one body. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit for power in order to serve effectively. This is what Calvary Chapel believes. We receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit by faith. This is what Calvary Chapel believes and teaches. It is not something that we deserve. It isn't only for the chosen frozen. It's for all. 
we need to understand that the baptism of the Holy Spirit can take place at the point of salvation, subsequent to the point of salvation. Gifts can sometimes be accompanied with the baptism, but no one gift or combination of gifts are the evidence of the baptism, but they are affiliated and associated with the baptism. That's what we can say as we see it through the book of Acts. So we should recognize that the baptism of the Holy Spirit can be accompanied with gifts. We don't want to deny that because we clearly see it. So we teach this. We should understand also that no one gift, and very clearly, and I repeat it, no one gift or combination of gifts is the baptism. There are denominations that teach Assembly of God's Foursquare and extreme Pentecostal movements and churches that if you don't speak in tongues, you do not have the baptism. That's absolutely unbiblical. For not everybody speaks with tongues. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for every believer. Therefore, it is absolutely wrong. In fact, Paul says, as he speaks about the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And 14, he says, rhetorical questions. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all have the gifts of healing? No. All the answers are no. So how can you teach that tongues is the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit when the Bible clearly teaches that not everybody has the gift of tongues? So what you do is you teach people that everybody must or can speak in tongues, which is totally unbiblical. So this, these are the things that we at Calvary Chapel believe and teach about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. These are the distinct differences from the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Calvary Chapel believes and teach. The distinctions of the Holy Spirit, the distinct names synonymous for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the distinct difference of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Very, very clear. And we rest in God's revelation for that. We don't stack or pile the scriptures. We don't manipulate them. We take them in their context and look real carefully like Bereans to examine the order and what is going on, whether people were born again, not born again, whether it was at the time of salvation or subsequent to it. And really, that's the only book of history that we have that we can verify the words of Jesus. And we see it line up perfectly. And so, this clears up a lot of confusion within the church when the gifts are operated kind of in a circus-type atmosphere that bring glory to no one but the person who is wiggling on the floor or speaking in tongues out loud and people think they're crazy, as Paul says. There's a place for the gifts. It isn't in the midst of the church when there's non-believers. It's very, very clear. But that's another teaching altogether. And so, the um, empowerment of the Spirit 
is a very clear teaching of Scripture and a distinctive of the Calvary chapels. And we pray that you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit and continue to be baptized as you need it from day to day. It comes by faith, not by special anointed hands, not because you deserve it, but because you believe God, you ask Him the same way you asked Him to save you, by grace through faith. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for your Holy Spirit that makes it all really understandable, Lord. And that we can go through the scriptures and follow the order and see exactly what you did. That we not limit you. And that we not add to your word. And that we not uh, um, teach something that just really contradicts your revelation. And so Lord, give us understanding and that we be good students of the word. And the Lord, we would realize how much we need the power of your Holy Spirit to help us to be witnesses to you first than to each other in the world, Lord. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Maybe you're over the Internet. God would have you to call on His name. He died for your sins. And if you believe that, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who convicts the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment, as we saw. And he's the one that saves people. And so if you see yourself in need of salvation as a sinner lost, it's by the grace of God. Now you must repent of your sins and ask Christ to save you, even as Peter preached to those on the day of Pentecost. This is your prayer of repentance if you want to be born again, right where you sit or wherever you're watching over the Internet. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.